This is the Life School Podcast, episode number 163, and today we're going to talk with special guest Lance Ford as we ask the question, can you really love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. This is the stuff your parents, teachers, and pastors forgot to tell you. I'm Heath Hollinsby. I'm here with your host, Cesar Kalinowski. Another round, another day, another killer topic. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I've, I'm wearing my very, very ancient yet super comfy sweater today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to change it several, several times. Yeah. You know, Mr. Rogers, I guess, wife knitted those uh, sweaters for him. Really? Yep. And they're making a movie about Mr. Rogers. I heard that. It's coming up. Is it Tom Hanks? Is that who's playing him? I don't know. It would make sense. I, 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 I also I'm going to say he it was... is. Probably wrong. People write in and tell us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today we're talking with Lance Ford, who wrote this amazing book uh, about Next Door As It Is In Heaven. Oh, what a killer title. Next it's Door so As It Is In Heaven. Yeah. Oh. So Lance, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's a church planner. He's been a pastor for two decades. And for the last dozen years or so, he's served as both a coach and a consultant. He's an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary, serves on the team at Forge America. He's written tons of books, and his latest is Next Door As It Is in Heaven, as we talked about. Yeah, so. he's he and he's one of my favorite pals. Yeah. I met him on the road, like conferences after conference, and he's part of that crew where we would always do our speaking, all of us in our slots, and then we would all like run from the conference and go out and hang out. You know? That's so, so cool. I haven't talked to him in a while, and I'm really looking forward. He's one of my favorite people. So. Awesome. Hey, Lance, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you guys. Well, here we go. So there was a time, brother, when our neighbors knew each other, okay? And like neighbors knew each other's names. And I and I know there's lots of reasons like, well, we didn't have air conditioning back then and everybody had a front porch and all that. But And it was like a time when children and old folks in the neighborhood were like part of your family. And you, I, I remember growing up, I can still picture Mrs. Brink next door and Mrs. Solana on the other side. And these were old Slavic ladies in my neighborhood. And I'm Polish. You know, they were just like grandmas, you know? Um, and back then our neighborhoods were really our closest community connected with your family so when you hear the word oikos you go oh like the people you do life with that was it um what happened <laughs> what do you what do you think what's happened it's not that way man well i think a lot happened you know i mean there's there's definitely a different way that we live now uh but i, I think the biggest thing i think the biggest thing that happened is consumerism and individualism just has become on steroids and so those chickens have come to roost now i'm a texan so that's a that's a texanism but really I mean, really, we're we're paying the price of of consumerism and individualism run amok because uh, people, you know, they live under their own. It's the old adage that you make your own way, and uh, right now, affluence uh, is equated with privacy. So, the more affluent you are, the more private you can be. You can live in a in a in a neighborhood that doesn't just have a garage door opener that lets you hide during the day. But actually, is gated, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, individualism and consumerism, and, and the way that those have manifest, I think, have really uh, uh, allied to to shut down good neighboring to a large degree. Well, when I hear those two words, like individualism, I go, okay, that's me loving me. Yep. Which I say it all the time. Like, I'm sorry, I love me more than I love most everybody else. Okay. <laughs> and that's softening it because I put the word most in there. But uh, and in consumerism is I want what I want when I want it. And I want more of it and I want it like in free, right. free two day delivery, please. So that sounds like the problem and why the neighbors 
and neighborhoods have all fallen apart. And that's like, we're not close anymore is because we, lo- we love ourselves more than we love others. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and the, and a big part of it is, is m- most people view their cities and they view even their neighborhoods from a cons- consumeristic uh, uh, mindset. So I don't remember any time I've ever talked with someone that's moved into a new home and I asked them, oh, well, why did you choose to live here? Oh, well, the first thing I did was I scoped out the neighborhood. I got to meet a few of the neighbors. And then we decided to take a real hard look at that house and decide whether we wanted to live here. And a big mm. part of the reason we did mm. all that was because we felt called to that neighborhood. No, it's just the opposite. People choose a neighborhood, even Christians choose a neighborhood because the schools were good. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a good drive to my work. You know, it was safe. It seemed like a secure, what's place. in it for me. What's yeah. in it for me. It's, it's all comes back about me. Right. You know, so it's, 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 uh, it's not from a real kingdom mindset. It's not really that Jeremiah 29, four through seven mindset of, you know, going in and looking for what's best for the city. And so we're trying to change that. You know, I, I know that's what you're on about. That's, that's what uh, this latest book that Brad Briscoe and I wrote is 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 about is is to change the mindset to know wherever you live, work, and play. These are the places you have been called to. You thought you just showed up. No, the Lord sent you there. And what can that look like if you embrace? And I know too many times in too many times in coaching, I've run into this, and I'm guessing you have too, where people they're wanting to live on mission, they're wanting to live this lifestyle of discipleship that we live and talk and write about, and. Um, but then they'll they'll kind of make the excuse of yeah, but where our house is is like it's way out. It's like forty five minutes from our church, and it's like you know our closest friend is like forty five minutes away. And right. Then, and I'm like, so why do you live there? Why do you live there? Yeah. How far is it to work? Oh, it's like an hour to work. Like, so why do you live there? How did you choose that? Right. Well, because it was a killer house. It was <laughs> a killer house. I'm like, but the rest of your life sucks, and you're and you're you're crying about why you can't live on mission and you can't make friends and have relationships, and then the closest neighbor is a half mile away. Like, you know, people tell us like, oh, we just got a place. We got 45 acres. Why? <laughs> like, do you just love cutting grass? I mean, what? You know, anyway. Well, and so, that's consumerism to a large degree. You know, it's because most people do because they want to be alone. You know, they want They want to have that space. Um, in fact, my wife and I, uh, before we moved where we're at now, or before we moved to Kansas City, actually, when our kids were still growing up, we we had about 15 acres outside of St. Louis. We had built a house. And we went out there, and um, and I was pastoring at that time, but I really tried to get to know our neighbors. Now, this had been a 1,600-acre farm originally that they broke up into like 12 and 15-acre lots. And Yeah, exactly. It was green acres, no doubt. You had to climb the pole to get the phone, and Mr. Haney would come by once a week and sell stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So uh, the thing about it was, it was the hardest place to do neighboring I've ever been in my life. And it finally, it took me about three years to figure it out. It was because it was all city folk, just like us, that moved out there to be alone. And most of the people that we tried to reach, mm-hmm. man, they had walls up. They did not want to interact. Uh, it was the hardest place we ever tried to do neighboring, actually. Yeah. And that sucks because some people find themselves there. And I know that the, the evangelist in me goes, well, nothing's beyond the reach of the gospel. But it is true when loads and loads of people decide for selfish and consumeristic reasons to create and sustain a certain type of lifestyle, it it can be really, really hard. And then there's a lot of people who haven't built up those walls, and I go, let's start with them. You know, golly. Yeah. So uh, Jesus, in, in your book you mentioned this as well, like Jesus talks about the concept of us loving our neighbor as ourself, 
And I've heard certain people try to argue out of it, like, well, maybe back in first century Israel, it was easier. They all lived right next to each other. But I have to believe that his intent is still for us today, like to love our neighbor as as ourselves. Do you believe that that's true for us now? And what might that look like uh, in our day and age that might help us get away from having to try to jump out of the excuse that it wasn't for us. Yeah, you know, no doubt. I mean, those scriptures, they don't have expiration dates on them, right? You know, I mean, so it would be so convenient, you know, and well, what does that really mean in the Greek and blah, 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 blah. Of course, that was the, you know, when, when Jesus said that quintessential phrase um, love about loving your neighbors yourself, it was all in the context of this discussion or this challenge he had received you know, from yeah. from a guy that was that the scripture says was trying to justify himself by saying, you know, what does it take for me to enter into uh, into heaven? And 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 you know, uh, Jesus says, well, what does the scripture say? And he says, well, love God with your heart and soul, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, yep, you got it, man. And then, but then the the, the scripture says that the guy wanted to mm. justify himself by saying, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Yeah. Because basically he was wanting to keep that thing in the ethereal, you know. Yeah, but at the end of the day, really, who is my neighbor? And, of course, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. We all know the parable of the sower. So the irony of this whole thing is that Jesus actually flips the script on it. And and because when he makes the Samaritan the hero, he says, the issue is not who is my neighbor. The issue is who will be a neighbor. So that lets none of us off the hook, because it doesn't matter really who our neighbor is. It's will we be the Jesus type of neighbor? And Jesus really defined that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, in being there for the the, the least of these, being there for the broken, being there for whoever we come across, and not, you know, not crossing the street to go away from them, but crossing the street to go to those those people that are broken or whatever their situation might be. And so there's no expir- expiration date on that, especially when he says we are to love them as we love ourselves, uh, because that cuts through so much stuff, right? Uh, you, because he, you know, people today, a lot of times, and sad to say, a lot of evangelical Christians want to qualify the poor for assistance or help. Um, Absolutely. We don't do that for ourselves. I mean, yeah, maybe we've made bad financial choices or whatever. But we still are ready to receive help or want help or whatever. That's what loving yourself or loving your neighbors, loving yourself means. We're so quick to want to help people that are they're kind of in uh, a bad place because of no fault of their own. Or, you know, someone screwed them over or someone robbed them or, you know, this guy left this guy. Or, but it, like we go like, well, that's his fault, man. You know, that's was his choice. It's like, wait a minute. We're, we're all in need of a savior because of our choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love too. not only does he flip the script to like, who's your neighbor, but will you be a neighbor? But he also has sort of done away with the like, okay, so your cultural excuses, you know, or your the the walls that culture would accept for why you would not be a neighbor to that person. Those are also obliterated as well. You know, like when when you say like, well, I'm not helping that guy because he chose that. Like, well, yeah, but so I chose all the sin in my life. It's I choose all. So Jesus, I think, does away with all the walls and says it's not even about them at all. It's about you and your heart. Yeah. And, you know, the irony of this is that when we do choose to be the neighbor, uh, the gift that the poor or the gift that the broken give back to us is as big or is as meaningful or is as transform transformative as anything we do for them. So uh, a part of part of the wisdom of the Lord in all this 
is it changes us. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it really does. It, 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 it makes a big change with us, you know? And so that's, that's part of the blessedness of identifying with the poor is that we do see God. We get to see God in the midst of all that. Yeah. For what you've done for the least of these, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real key to it. I think he's a key to life. So uh, kind of just to tip into a little bit of the book here again, chapter one uh, really tends to lay the foundation for the rest of the book, I think. And it's about the priority of incarnational presence. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack this a little bit and and maybe give us some examples of that? Because we're listening to this and I think, yeah, you've you've helped us see more clearly what Jesus is saying there with the the Good Samaritan parable. Sure. Um, And yet we still have to look outside, look across the fence, look across the street. What's this uh, incarnational presence? Yeah, well, you know, and that's one of the most familiar verses for all of us is John 1, 14. The word was made flesh and and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Um, I've, you know, it's very interesting that the, the, the term that John uses for Jesus, the title, the word. So if you think about the word, what's the word of God? So, you know, if someone gives someone, you know, if I say, hey, Caesar gave me his word, Heath, how would you how would you interpret that? I mean, what do you think that means? If I tell you, hey, Caesar gave me his word on this, what does that mean? It means he's going to hold up his end of the bargain, right? Like he, he made a commitment. That's right. He he made a commitment. He gave me his promise. Or, or if we say, uh, here's my word on that, then that's that's my opinion. So the incarnation of God in Jesus or the word made flesh and blood in our flesh and blood means, and I, and, I, and I love, I think we all love the way that Eugene Peterson put it in the message. He said, the word of God was made flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, right? So yeah. what happens when with the incarnation is when the word of God becomes flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood, then the promises of God move into the neighborhood. The opinion of God moves into the neighborhood. Uh, I had an encounter with one of our you know, I mean, that's that's it, isn't it? So what that's the way that we can transform a neighborhood is we live this stuff out among our neighbors and we can change the narrative. I mean, they've had a narrative about what God thinks about them or what religion thinks about them. But the way we live our lives, when we when we let the word of God become our flesh and blood and we move that in the neighborhood, we start changing the narrative, the yeah. opinion of God about people. And then what happens is they see the glory because of the grace and the truth that's moved in. So, man, the incarnation, man, I mean, it's it's the key to it all. Living it is the key to it all, I believe. It'd be really hard for people not to be kind of feeling excited about the possibilities of what this neighborhood could look like. So I, my question now is, as followers of Jesus, what are some practical steps that we could take as we look towards restoring our literal, actual neighborhoods to becoming communities that are f- filled with both love and redemption? It's interesting. We had this encounter uh, in our neighborhood, uh, and Caesar, you were you were at my house. Remember, uh, we lived in this neighborhood. It was a very historic neighborhood in Kansas City, yeah. and there was a house across the street from us that had sold. And um, when I went over to uh, took a bottle of wine over there one morning to to welcome them to the neighborhood, I didn't know who they were. I saw the moving vans move in the night before, and a guy opened the door. Um, he was probably in his early mid sixties, and uh, I welcomed him, handed him this bottle of wine, said, you know, told him my wife and I lived across the street, but blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we started chit-chatting for about five minutes, uh, just, man, just jovial, um, big smile on his face, big smile on my face. We're talking. 
And then he says, well, he says, I, uh, so, and he had told me in the midst of this, that he was a retired IRS agent. Okay. And then he said, uh, after about five minutes, he said, oh, I wish my, uh, I wish my partner was here, but Richard works for Delta and he's in London or whatever. Well, okay. So my partner, Richard. Okay. So, uh, in a few minutes he asked me, and you know how these conversations go, Caesar. You can be having a great conversation with someone until they ask you what you do, you know, as a <laughs> yeah. pastor or whatever. Yeah. You know? yep. So it's going on great. And then he says, so what do you do? So I said, well, I was a pastor for about 20 years. And now, and when I got to that point, the smile dropped off his face. Oh, boy. Wow. And he just looked at me. Yeah, he looked at me and he said, oh, he said, so, so are you one of those Christians that hate people like me? Wow. And man, ouch. And, and I said, in one of those moments where I think I was hearing from, where I think I was hearing from the Holy Spirit and I was begging for the Lord to tell me how to answer. I said, no, Jesus loved tax collectors. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. Boom. (laughs) Yeah. Let, let, let that land. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it just kind of hung out there. It just kind of hung out there in silence. And I'm like, and I didn't say, I did, that's all I said. And then I just looked at him with no smile or anything. And he's looking back at me with no smile. But then all of a sudden, this big smile after about 10 seconds creases across his face. And he just, he threw his head back and he laughed. Oh. And he goes, okay, well, that's good enough for me. Well, what happened in that moment was I changed the narrative. Um, because by saying, because he knew, I knew what I was doing there. And, but what I was saying was, hey, I'm not defining you by any of that. Uh, I want to define you as a friend and as a new neighbor, and I want to be your neighbor. Um, you know, so I think one of the biggest things we do is we try to change the narrative and a part of changing the neighborhood of uh, changing the narrative in a neighborhood is when you are looking at consumerism and individualism and all this, one of the biggest things is most neighbors don't even know their, the, the names of their neighbors. And so, uh, you know, uh, the book by Dave, uh, Runyon and, and Jay Paddock, uh, the art of neighboring has been really helpful in this because the big thing that they point out, first of all, is just to get to know the dadgum names of your neighbors, right? Yeah. Because most people don't even know the names of neighbors. So I think that that's one of the things is, and that becomes an embarrassing thing, especially if you've lived there for five years and you've been waving at your neighbor the whole time, or maybe you've even exchanged names two or three times, but you keep forgetting their name. Part of that is just take the pain to go across the street or next door and knock on them and say, Hey, you know what? I'm really embarrassed, but I've forgotten your name. Can we start over? Because most likely they're going to say, hey, I'm glad you did this because I forgot your name, too. Open your home up. Do parties. Do do dessert nights. Uh, I mean, that's one of the easiest things that we ever did. I mean, we caught on to this thing of doing these deals called cornbread suppers, which basically was just like a potluck that we did once a month. We invited ton. We invited we we use next door dot com or yeah, the, the app. And we just just invited people to, to, um, come to this potluck. And basically we said, Hey, uh, we just want to get to know more of our neighbors. We have zero agenda. You don't have to RSVP. You can bring something if you want to, you don't have. And you call them what? We we call them cornbread. We call them cornbread Mondays. We were doing it on Monday nights and we totally stole this idea from some friends in Lexington and Kentucky that we heard was doing the same thing. Now I'll tell you guys, it went crazy. I put the I put the invite out there on nextdoor.com and my email box that first afternoon just blew up. And so the first time we did it, 
was no, we did it on Wednesdays. And the first time that we did it, uh, we had 15 strangers show up to our house the first night. Wow. Um, and, 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 and the next month we did it, all 15 showed up and five more showed up the next month. I'm not making it up. All 20 showed up and five more showed up. It was the easiest, best thing we ever did. It took off like wildfire. People are longing to be known, right? They are longing. They're longing to be known and to know. And they're just waiting for somebody to be catalytic and to start it. And, uh, you know, and, and anybody can do that. It's really easy. So, uh, and we kind of tell that story in there. I love that because we've talked a lot about how we, uh, well, like we moved to Manhattan, we did it. We moved here, same thing. We uh, started hosting a happy hour, <laughs> okay, on Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and same thing, same kind of results, same kind of thing. But some people are like, no, I don't know, happy hour, if, if they don't drink or they don't even go to happy hour, they don't know. So cornbread Wednesdays, come oh, on. So Southern, man, I just dig that. You must have also, to get that kind of repeat business, you must have, I need that cornbread recipe for <laughs> Tina. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, I can send you a bunch of them because my wife's good at it. But I tell you what, now I train church planters. And so I spend a lot of time out in Southern California. I have a lot of church planters I work with out there. And so the big thing, okay, there's three things that those guys have done out there. First, one of my planters started doing uh, guacamole Thursdays. And so they did all the kind of stuff out uh, uh, around guacamole. And, of course, then there was a Taco Tuesday guy. And then there was a Tri-Tip Thursday guy, too. You know, Tri-Tip is the big thing out there. So you can do it around anything. You know, you can do it just around anything. But the, the, the bottom line is people want to get together. And, and you know, uh, there, there's no pressure. And so we kind of give the little story and we kind of give the little, quote, rules there in the book. And uh, I just couldn't tell you how many stories I've heard of people that have started doing this over the last two or three years since we started telling our story. It's the easiest, best thing I've ever done. Well, I, I want to encourage everybody to get the book. And um, next door is it is in heaven and and read that thing. There's, it's going to be chock full of good stuff, but it's also going to move your heart towards the right stuff. And as we always talk about on the show, the thing behind the thing is our heart and changing how we see ourselves. That stuff, man, that you said about, you know, the flesh <laughs> moving into the neighborhood. And that's the opinion and promises of God moving into the neighborhood. And oh, man, good stuff. Listen, Lance, thank you so much for being on with us today. Let's do it again. I know other listeners are going to love this, and they'll be writing in a lot. Uh, tweet the heck out of this when you hear this episode, guys. Share this with other people, and uh, you know, get, get started, right? Lance, thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, guys, for having me. All right, man. What a great guest, Lance. I've, He's a good guy, man. I miss him so much. What a cool thing to get to have him on today. It's cool hearing all his stories, too, you know, things that are actually working. And it, it just inspires you to be more creative, even in your own neighborhood, huh? Oh, and the show is short. You know, we fly. We try to keep this thing compact for everybody every sure. week. But we could, that guy's got stories, man, for a mile. I'm not kidding <laughs> you. He really does. Well, let's get to the big three. Uh, for those of you who are now listening and maybe not familiar with what the big three are, it's just the three practical takeaways we'd love for you to leave with, at the very least, right now. Yeah, big three. Yeah. You can get those for free by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 163. Caesar. What would you say the big three are for this week? Okay, first, number one, people are dying for relationship and connection. Hmm. Don't don't doubt that, please. I, and I know we have all these fears in our own hearts of meeting people and all that. People are humans. They're created this way by God. And so when you look around, you say, oh, there's not a lot of that. I don't know if there is. People are. They're dying for connection. And as Christians, we can choose to push back against consumerism and individualism that's so toxic. Okay, so let's not let our affluence and all the blessing God's poured into our life 
let's not take that affluence and buy the very walls that keep us apart from real gospel center relationship. Yeah. So, you know, taller fences, bigger property that's all separating us from everybody, security systems, gates, sure. all that stuff. Let's let's not take the blessing and affluence and make it the barrier. Yeah. Okay. Second thing, Lance was going after this. Man, this was so awesome. When he reminded us from John, the word Jesus was made flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He's saying that the word of God is is God's opinion and it's God's promises and it moved in. Hmm. And so now as his family in the neighborhood, that's every Christian in every neighborhood, you're, that's, we take the word with us. We take God's promises. We take his blessings. We take his opinion of how the world should operate and run and how generous he is and all that. We take yeah. that into the neighborhood. That's our privilege and opportunity. So don't take this as a you should or you're supposed to. Take it as the incarnation being passed on to us. Now, we are the flesh wrapped around the very opinion and promises of God. That's us. Yeah, that's cool. That's so cool, man. Right? Not because we're supposed to. We get to. Yep. Man, it's awesome. Okay. And then third, change the narrative in your neighborhood. Begin to live and be and speak differently about all these things. Hmm. Speak differently about people. I loved Lance's story there about, you know, God loves tax collectors. Like yeah. he just changed the, you know, the story on the guy, changed yeah, the narrative. It, yeah. He didn't focus on something that maybe others in the church may, maybe would have in the sure. guy or was already fearing, right? His, yeah. his sexual orientation um so get to know people's names get to know their story what mm. they love and value or fear and and you know i'd say jump on it start hosting a happy hour or a cornbread wednesday did you love that <laughs> yeah it's cool don't miss and you know and don't miss the great overarching theme here that he was pointing out like you know they his one buddy was he was doing cornbread wednesday another guy was doing guacamole thursdays yeah. we always did happy hour when you theme something People love it, and it's much easier to talk about than like, I'm, uh, we're some Christians, and we're inviting friends over so we can get yeah. to know you and start to discuss deep thoughts. You know, it's like, hey, Cornbread Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, it done. sounds so, yeah. And yeah. he said like 15 out of 15 people come back, and they bring five friends, 20 out of 20. You know, that's so that's cool. been our experience too. So de-churchify things. Get, get rid of some of the corny language and some of the wrappings that we don't have to. Yep. Pick a weird theme, borrow one of these, make up your own, share it with us over yeah. at the Life School Podcast on Facebook. Yeah. And, uh, but get started, right? Change the narrative in your neighborhood. Yeah, that's so good, man. Again, you can get those free uh, downloads of the big three by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 163. And as Caesar just mentioned, the Facebook group, uh, all you got to do is go to Life School Podcast up in the search bar. We will preview to the group, jump in, have some conversation, share with us kind of your. Uh, modified version of the cornbread wednesday what you're doing in your own <laughs> yeah. neighborhood give I'm us some ideas that that's corny i'm not doing <laughs> join us next week as we talk about how jesus explained life and growth in the kingdom It'll be a fun topic to get into no yeah, there's some stuff in scripture that i missed forever and i'm gonna unpack it okay mm-hmm. pattern of promise that jesus has given us and you're gonna go i've read that a million times and it's still true for it's us still today. true uh, we hope you hang out with us for that. Uh, thanks for joining us today. For more information, you can visit 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast. Uh-huh.